Welcome to Genius Leadership Podcast, where we discuss how to overcome everything as a leader. I'm your host, Anna Liebel, a mind shifter, helping male leaders in tech get out of the firefighting mode, become the proactive leaders they want to be, and enjoy the ride as they go. Join me every week for honest, insightful conversations with corporate, entrepreneurial, and academic leaders. We discuss their roller coaster ride of leading from their zone of genius and when they don't. If you find this show valuable, please subscribe and share it so that more of us can live a healthier and happier life. Now, let's get into the episode. Hey, Genius Leader, I hope you're doing well and welcome to another guest episode on the show. Today, I'm talking to John Miles, a keynote speaker, author, combat veteran, and the host of number one ranked alternative health podcast, Passion Struck. The podcast has over 17 million downloads, ladies and gentlemen. It's a little bit of a different game than our little community here in the Onogenes Leaders. Not that the numbers really matter to me, but I do want to emphasize how John has managed to find the niche and find his message and build a community that is really appreciating his message. And this message about being passion struck has been put in a book that has been in the making for many years. John is talking about that. And that book has just been released. So if you're listening on the day of the release of this podcast, it's been yesterday, February the 6th. And the book is called Passion Struck, 12 Powerful Principles to Unlock Your Purpose and Ignite Your Most Intentional Life. This intentional life is coming as a recurrent theme with my guests. I hear this word quite a lot recently in the interviews. So I'm curious, I'm observing that trend. Usually when I'm seeing these trends, something is happening. So maybe we do some more themed episodes about the intentional life. So in this conversation with John, we are talking about his journey personally, like so many stories we hear nowadays when it's on the outside, very successful, uh, being in the C-suite of very successful global companies, yet feeling the sense of void, being unhealthy, not having good relationship with yourself first and foremost. That has been John and his corporate career. And we're talking about his burnout that has been 10 years in the making. We're discussing what were the different stages of the journey and then how he came back from the journey to the healthy, happy, uh, fulfilled professional that he is these days. I picked two topics from his book that I really appreciated and I thought it would be very interesting for you. And that is about the micro choices. Just around this episode, I'm releasing solo episodes and one of them is about the choices and how you often are one choice, little choice away from big changes in your life. So I, I really appreciated John's perspective on this topic. And we'll also talk about anxiety. But on the good side of it, we're talking about the zone of optimal anxiety. And I'm pretty sure that you, many of you have never heard about this term. So I want to, you to peel your ears to your headphones or the speakers from which you're listening and really pay attention to this conversation because these are important concepts to grasp. And I hope you can learn from John and his extensive experience and the experience of all his podcast guests that he's also included in the book and in our story today, and that you'll take that to build that intentional life for yourself. Let's get rocking and rolling and enjoy and see you on the other side. John, warmest welcome to the Genius Leadership Podcast. 
Anna, it's such an honor to be here. And thank you so much for having me to serve your audience. The honor is mine. And I actually want to start, John, with your book that you just launched yesterday, 6th of February. Can you tell us about the book, why that topic and why now? Yes, and I'll hold a, a copy of it um, right hey, here. It the name of it is Passion Struck, and it's about 12 powerful principles to unlock your purpose and ignite your most intentional life. And this has been something that for me has been in the works for many, many years. And so it's just such a humbling experience that it's finally come to fruition. And I'm so excited to have it now in the world where people can digest uh, all these years of work and research that I've put together in the book. So you have all these years that you have nurtured the idea of the book. Uh, why, why is it coming now? Did you feel like it, you were ready? Did you feel like the audience was ready? Or what, what, what aligns there? I have felt for a long time that we have these things that are going on in the world, such as people who are feeling helpless and the epidemic of loneliness and mental health issues on the rise that are affecting billions of people. and. As I have tried to dive into this to look at what is the underlying cause that's making so many people feel this way, a central theme keeps coming up, and that is unmattering. People mm -hmm. feel that when they wake up in the world, that their life doesn't have significance. And I started to really explore that. And if on one side you feel like your life doesn't matter, it typically is coming out in ways that you feel apathetic about the world around you. You might be feeling numb, bored, battered, broken, whatever word you want to use. And I started to think about how could I create a movement to try to tackle the systemic issue that I think so many people are facing. And so one of my favorite quotes is by Henry David Thoreau. And he says in his quote that the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. And this quiet desperation I feel today in this success-driven, fast-paced society that we all live in, I think is more prevalent than ever. We often find ourselves in these careers that we're now many years into that lack fulfillment. And we're spending our time in a monotonous loop of meetings, emails, presentations that drain rather than inspire. And so this book was really written to give people information on how do they break free from that? How do they go from being stuck in their life to feeling that they can create a life of significance, the ideal self that they want to become? Quite often people talk about the challenges that they have overcome themselves. Did you ever feel stuck or did you ever feel the sense of un unmattering or is it something that you're more observing in the, in the world? And could you relate to that from the personal story? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And my story is one from the outside um, that looks like it, it was one built out of tremendous success, achieving ambitions that, quite honestly, a lot of people would dream to have. I graduated from the Naval Academy. I spent time in the military as a naval officer. I rose to the rank of becoming a practice leader in a big four consulting firm. I became the C-level for a Fortune 50 company and the CEO for two or three private equity-owned companies. But the higher I got into my career, the more I started having this turmoil because I was finding myself going throughout the days as if I was in a masquerade where I was presenting what I call the mask of pretense 
was as if I was wearing this mask of inauthenticity, pretending to be someone I wasn't, where inside I was becoming more and more discontent to the life that I was living. And the outward portrayal of this just kept manifesting in, in ways that had profound impacts on my health, my mental well-being, my relationships, my spiritual health, everything to do with it. And I reached a point when I was in that C-level position where I just experienced uh, incredible burnout and this feeling of utter numbness and extreme hopelessness about the situation that I found myself in and just this profound feeling of being stuck in this universe that I had created, which I was coming to the realization was not where I was destined to be. And so it created this big gap. And the way I like to explain this is I think we have three different selves. We have our actual self, which is the life that we're living. We have our ideal self, which is what we wish we could become. And we have our ought self, which is what we believe we should be doing, because that's what tends to tie us to our obligations and burdens. And for me, that gap between my actual self and that ideal self that I wanted my life to be was huge. And I couldn't figure out how to go from point A to point B. And I'm sure that this is something that many people who might be listening are struggling with themselves. I definitely want to go in in how you actually got from point A to point B, but I would like to roll back a bit. Why do you feel, John, that this disconnect started? Where did that gap originated and why? One of the books that I often cite when I get this question is The High Price of Materialism by Tim Kasser. And he offers one of the best scientific explanations of how our contemporary culture of consumerism and materialism affects our everyday happiness and psychological health. And I think what ends up happening to a lot of us is we're lured by safety over passion. We end up choosing these career paths that are dictated more by stability and safety rather than fulfillment. And this fear of uncertainty pushes many of us towards these careers that look secure on paper, but are unfulfilling at heart. And that was definitely what was happening to me. And again, I'm not alone. According to Gallup 2022, 60% of all people who are in jobs reported being emotionally detached at work and 19% felt miserable. Uh, There was a 2021 YouGov poll of more than 9,000 working Americans where only just over half feel like their jobs meaningfully contribute to the world. And I think another one is Gartner did a review in 2022 that showed while 82% of employees say it's important for their organization to see them as a person, not just as an employee, about a third actually believe their organization sees them that way. And Mm -hmm. so, I mean, these are just a few of, of the ones that I'm bringing up, but it all shows that more of us are taking the safe route. In fact, research from the Congressional Budget Office in 2021 has shown that in the United States and most Western countries, we're in four decades of entrepreneurial decline. And the biggest decline is in those people who are college educated or are high skilled. And what it all is showing is that these high skilled college graduates have found that they can earn more with well-paying jobs than taking the risk of starting their own business. And so this is kind of the backdrop of what so many of us are living in. And for me, that was absolutely the case. I don't think 
I ever thought when I was a kid that being the leader of a technology organization in a big firm was the passion that I wanted to have. Uh, but I found myself there because that's where life led me. But once you reach that point, what ends up happening to you is you have the burden of responsibilities. As, res- as life progresses, your responsibilities accumulate. You've got rent payments, car payments, family needs, not to mention the societal, I guess, worth that you've created by what you've built. And it is so difficult to break away from those things once you have achieved them in your life. And so hopefully that gives you a good backdrop. It does. It does. And as you said, uh, John, many people can relate to parts of your story about this disconnect, about the effects of consumerism and materialism, how they uh, guide us away from ourselves and uh, get us out of practice and habit of listening inwards and uh, taking the choices that uh, are more aligned with where we want to be and where we feel uh, the purpose and meaning. And just to emphasize, I truly believe that for every job, there is someone who in the world who will find meaning in it. So it's not about that some jobs, for example, corporate jobs are wrong and being an entrepreneur is right. It's not for everyone, absolutely. And people can find meaning and fulfillment and purpose in uh, different jobs. But that's the thing that we are missing sometimes that question, the extra question of what it actually suits me, what what feels right for me, where do I get energy, not only bring energy and spend it. So, John, let's go to your journey then. When you realize that these two selves are completely disconnected and you feel like there is a huge gap in between them, how do you start that journey? And actually, with that maybe... We can directly introduce one of the con- concepts and principles that you talk about in the in the book uh, about the micro choices, because I assume <laughs> that was part of the journey <laughs> to find those micro choices and uh, make them. Yeah, so I think that's a really great question, and I think what people need to understand is typically you have gotten yourself in this place over a period of time. For some, it could be a few years. If you're at the beginning of your career, for others, it could be decades. And so the first thing you need to realize is this, just like having depression or burnout, is something that you can't flip a light switch and make it go from off to on or on to off, however you want to look at it. And I'll use that metaphor of having burnout. For me, burnout culminated 15 years or so into my career, but I believe it started probably five years into my career and it was at the time, something that was so low level that I didn't even realize it was happening in the background. And over time, it starts creeping up and becoming more and more of a foundation of your existence. And then before you know it, it's become a moderate state. And now you're feeling that things are starting to feel off. But then I think it's like anything, you have these hockey stick moments that it goes from that moderate state to something severe. And all of a sudden, you're in the state of being overwhelmed whelmed like I found myself in. So to break yourself from it, you can't just think it's going to happen by clicking your fingers and you're going to go from point A to point B. And I ended up going to see a career coach who was a psychologist. And one of the most important analogies that he gave me was he asked me to, to sit in his office and close my eyes and visualize. And he said, I want you to imagine yourself going into your kitchen and you have a kitchen stool there. And I want you to picture that stool 
that you're about ready to sit on that it's got the chair, but underneath it, it's got one thick support that's holding that stool up. And it goes, now imagine yourself sitting there. And what is holding you up is the constant grind because that is what has become your life. And he said to me, what do you think is going to happen with this constant grind? I go, eventually I'm going to topple over and nothing is going to catch me. And he was absolutely correct. And he said, now I want you to visualize that stool as having multiple supports. And these can be anything that you you want them to be, but these are things that you imagine in your future life that will lead you to becoming your ideal self. And I ended up picking ones that represented relationship health, physical health, mental health, emotional health, and then spiritual health. And I set goals for each one of them. But this is where I think people get it wrong is they try to make too big a leap in going Mm -hmm. after these goals. And this is where the power of micro choices comes into play. So my recommendation would be once you pick what those pillars are and they could be whatever you want them to be, start with just one of them. Maybe it's your physical health that you want to improve. And so the micro choices that you start making are maybe I'm going to make the micro choice that I'm really out of shape and the most I can do is go for a walk. And maybe the next morning, that's the intention that you set. And perhaps all you're able to do is get to a point where you put your shoes on, but you don't actually go for a walk. I think what you have to do in that situation is not look at it as a failure, but reward yourself that you took a step. And maybe the next day you put your shoes on, you walk out the door and you walk a couple hundred meters and then you turn back, reward yourself for that. And then the next day, maybe you go 500 meters, whatever you pick, that's the way you're going to have change happen in your life. And what ends up happening is those micro choices lead to other choices that you start making in your life. And if you think about it, every single day we make between 60 to 90,000. We have 60 to 90,000 thoughts that come into our heads. Most of those are things that our inner voice is just putting on repeat that we're constantly telling ourselves the same thing, which is part of the reason why we keep allowing ourselves to be in this position of being stuck. But if you start making these micro choices to do something different, to start growing in an area, they start accumulating in other areas of your life that you would have never expected because now you've created momentum in one area. You've started to maybe overcome a fear that you had that you couldn't achieve this. And all of a sudden, it starts articulating into other areas of your life. And before you know it, just as I was building up burnout, you start building in your life slowly but surely a new foundation that's taking you closer to this ideal self that you want to be. And so for me, that's the mechanics of how you start taking deliberate action, intentional action to go from where you are to where you want to be. I want to ask a couple of follow-up questions uh, based on what you just said, John. First, you said your burnout was 10 years in the making. How did you looking back, identify the start of it? What were the first things that you said were going in the background? And what were some of the stages or how did it progress until that culmination that you mentioned? Yeah, I think it started probably when I was a consultant after I'd gotten out of the military. And I started going down this path of looking at what I wanted to achieve. And probably a ton of people who are on this podcast are high achievers like I was. I can't remember a point in my life when I didn't feel like I needed to achieve great things. And 
I guess I just started to point my North Star towards what I thought was going to bring contentment. So this was advancement. This was climbing the ladder. This was taking on more responsibility. It was in search of titles, accolades, trying to earn more money and position myself to do so. But while I was doing that, what I didn't realize was that the constant desire to achieve all these things was starting to fundamentally aspect impact other aspects of my life. For instance, I would take that time allotted to working out and instead use it to prepare for a meeting so that I could be the best I thought I could be at that point in time in that meeting. Or it was the next day I knew I, knew I had a, a huge load. And instead of taking the time to spend it with my family, I spent it on the computer working. And you might think there are times you need to do this, and that's fine. But what ends up happening is we start making these choices and they stop becoming one offs and they start becoming our regular pattern. Before we know it, we're neglecting the things that matter most in our lives. And I think that's a great way to, to imagine what happened to me. And the problem is, is the more responsibilities you take on, the bigger the positions get the less time you have. And those things that you're already short-circuiting become even more short-circuited to the point that various aspects of your life start unraveling. And it's a gradual process. You don't even know it's the ramifications are happening like they are. But I had this voice that was trying to talk to me and I was ignoring it primarily because I was so distracted by all the other things that were happening around me all the extrinsic things that I was so focused on that I wasn't listening to the intrinsic motivators in my heart that were trying to lead me to a different path. Uh, I hope that resonates with people because I think one of the easiest things to do, and yet it's one of the hardest things to do, is introspection. And it's the most profound thing that we can do for our personal growth. Yet so many of us are caught up in this world of constant distractions that we're not listening to that inner voice that's actually guiding us on this path because it knows what our uniqueness is. It knows the destiny that we can fulfill if we allow ourselves to listen to it and start to change. How do you practice that listening? So for me, it wasn't easy. I, I do mindfulness now, but I will tell you uh, when I started this journey, I was one of the biggest skeptics in the world. I'm a big fan of Dan Harris, and I think he and I probably were thinking about mindfulness in the same way. I thought it was just something that hippies did and uh, Buddhist, and that this in no way was ever going to work for me. And when I started out, the, the traditional ways that you read about weren't working for me. I'm not the type who can just sit down, cross my legs, and enter this state. I immediately start fidgeting and, and want to do something else. So for me, Flow is very important for me to be in this state. And a couple of things I learned on this journey was one, when I was sitting down and after a couple of moments, I started to feel distracted. That's absolutely normal. That's some of the first things that are going to happen. But what you've got to start learning how to do is start catching yourself about being mindful of realizing that these distractions are happening. And that's when you need to retune yourself to be mindful. And the easiest way I have found to do it is I love being out in nature. 
I know it's difficult for us to put ourselves in nature unless you live in someplace like Iceland where it might, might be a little bit easier. But at the end of the day, it's a whole bunch of excuses. So for me, I found that the easiest way to do it was to make it the number one priority, the first thing I did in the morning. So I get up really early in the morning, typically about 5 a.m. And I do that because at that point of the day, you don't have the distractions. I don't see cars. You don't have people walking around. You're pretty much immersed in nature. And so what I try to do is I tune in to my surroundings. I try to listen and use that absorption into nature is my ability to start focusing. And then what I like to do, what works for me is uh, I like to start doing a gratitude practice of the things that I am grateful for in my life, things that transpired over the past 24 hours that have moved me closer to becoming my ideal self. And then I like to think about the intentions that I have for the day because, I mean, we can all wake up feeling crappy, but you can either allow yourself to continue that day feeling crappy, or you can choose to live it differently. Even if you're feeling sick or whatever, you're, you can determine how you want to live your day. It's, again, those micro choices that you make. And so that's how I set my day up. And if I feel like I need it, I will come back and do that practice multiple times during the day. I try to take walks three or four times in addition to that morning walk, just so I get breaks and can put myself into the down state um, so I can get some rest, um, especially if you're having a hectic day. But for me, that's what works. Three, four walks or four, five then per day. It's quite a luxury for many uh, of my listeners. I think they would be like, what? No, not possible. But I would say, just as you said, going back to the micro choices, start with one, put the shoes on. I usually talk about the micro steps and the power of the micro steps. It's very similar to what you're teaching, um, John, in, in the book uh, with the micro choices. And I usually give the example of flossing. If you don't have the habit of flossing your teeth, then your first micro step might be just to buy the floss. And the second one might be to just to put it out there next to your toothbrush so that you look at it whenever you pick your toothbrush. And the third micro step might be to just get a, a length of that floss, even if you don't put it in between your teeth. And then the next micro step could be just flossing between two teeth and that's it. So that, that is how you build a habit. And I really like that you show that it's really about the exploration of what works for you and and we need to normalize that it is a process as you emphasized it didn't happen overnight for you to burn out uh, neither did it take you overnight to get back to some uh, positive and healthy and sustainable state uh, from that uh, spot and I actually want to uh, reiterate about the micro choices you said that when you identified uh, with the career coach that you went to that okay you were sitting on that a bar stool with one leg, the grind, and you actually wanted to create a different chair that would be more stable uh, with different legs. And you said, pick one area of your life to start improving just that specific area. How do you suggest to pick that area? Is it something where you feel like a change in this area would make the biggest difference in my life? Or maybe it's the other way around that the area where it's the easiest to make some change just to start gaining momentum? Or what, what kind of questions do, can people ask themselves to, to define which area they should work on? Yeah. So one of the first things I would say is you kind of have to figure out where you are in your journey. And this was one of the questions that kept coming up to me, especially from my publisher, of how does someone know where they are on their journey to becoming passion struck? And so 
I wrote a whole chapter on this and I call it the the five plateaus on your journey to becoming passion struck. And so I, in this chapter, outlined these five different phases that I kind of group people throughout society in. And I have a quiz on the Passion Struck website that you can go. It's 20 questions long, takes you about 10 minutes, and it will tell you which one of these plateaus you're currently sitting in. It'll tell you what that means, and then it'll give you some immediate next steps that you can do to get to the next level. But generally, I wrote, I wrote this book so that it could impact people at various different aspects of their career. So I wrote it for my kids who are 25 and 19. So that is they're starting their career. They had a blueprint for how do they create their ideal life. I wrote it for the person that as we've been discussing who's stuck, who wants to go from feeling stuck to being passion struck. I wrote it for the high achiever who maybe was like me and is on this journey, but they're feeling the early stages of maybe that plateauing or that they have a different calling. How do they shift? Or if they're on the right calling, how do they use some of these steps to propel their life forward? So it it works for various people. But to me, one of the most fundamental starting points is the first principle that I have in the book, which is that we need to become mission anglers in our life. And this whole chapter is about life crafting. And it goes back to those three states that I was talking about. It's looking at who you actually are, your actual self, and then starting to really think about your ideal self and what you imagine that to be. And typically what I find is that when we start thinking about our ideal self and we really start doing the work to understand what makes us unique, there's typically something that we are called to solve. There's a problem that we were meant to use our unique abilities to handle, to solve for the world. And for many entrepreneurs, that becomes the business that they build for people who might be more philanthropic. It could be the nonprofit that they start trying to help people. But generally, what I find is it's something that's exploiting your uniqueness in the service of others. And a point I like to make when I discuss this is I had a guest on the on the podcast, a friend of mine, Andreas Widmer. Um, Andreas is, is Swiss. And when he was in his late teens, he was really listless. He had no purpose in life. He didn't know where he wanted to take his life. And he applied to be a member of the Swiss Guard, thought it would never happen. He ends up getting picked. And he ends up becoming a Swiss Guard for Pope John Paul II. And he tells me that you think about the Pope and all the duties that they have. And he said the thing that made the Pope so powerful to him was that when you were in his presence, he it's as if the world stopped for him and you were the most important thing for him in the universe. And he could see that Andreas was struggling and he would mentor him and tell him that ultimately we were put on here to fulfill a purpose that we were uniquely created for and that it's our life journey to find that purpose and to execute on it the best that we possibly can. And he told Andreas that when we do, our life is typically filled with happiness, fulfillment, contentment. And when we try to work against it, we end up exposing ourselves to the exact opposite. And we end up having the mental issues that people feel, the hopelessness that people feel, the apathy that I felt. And so to me, understanding how to craft this life that you want to go from your actual self to your ideal self 
and not pursuing the art self is one of the most important steps that you can take. I'm thinking, I actually wanted to ask a question, but I think you just answered it, John. Um, I, I thought of asking when people listen to us and maybe they feel like, I just want us to sit on the sofa or go to a job, get my paycheck, and that's it. I don't have any higher purpose or mission in this life, and I don't want to look for it, and so on and so forth. But I think you just answer that. When we are not in alignment, when we are far from this ideal self and not on a journey to getting anyhow closer to, to that, then we get all these thoughts. We get lack of motivation. We get apathy. We, we feel lack of energy and on those kind of things. So it just guides me to assume, and I here I want to hear your opinion, that we all have that purpose and mission. And if we don't feel like we want to look for one, we should look for it anyways, <laughs> because that's what yeah. will help us in life. Yeah, and I'll, I'll give you a great example. So um, I recently interviewed Jen Gottlieb, who has a new book out called Be Seen, and she helps people to find their their personal brand, their uniqueness for the world so that they can be seen. But she herself uh, was struggling to be seen. And so she wanted to have a bigger following on Instagram. I'm just using this as an example. And she understood that in order to do that, she needed to start showing some more real life examples of what actually was occurring in her life to make it more real for people. But she was petrified of being behind the camera and showing that vulnerability. So instead of ignoring it, she did quite the opposite. She decided that she was going to let people in every single morning before she put her makeup on to see the real Jen at the start of her day. And it started out with her making a whole bunch of mistakes and having a hard time doing it. But two or three years later, now she's, she still does the practice every day. and she gets thousands of people um, who now are attached to her. And I think it's one of the reasons her book became a Wall Street Journal bestseller. But it's none of us want to move away from something that feels comfortable. I mean, I want to watch TV at the end of the night as much as anyone else, but I also want to be a keynote speaker. So instead of doing that, I am putting myself personally into positions such as doing podcast episodes taking improv classes, doing Toastmasters, things that every part of my body doesn't want to do, but I know I need to take these steps if I want to have personal growth. And the same thing applies to anything that you want to change. I think this leads ideal or perfectly to the topic of another concept from your book that I wanted to discuss, and that's living on this edge or this anxiety optimizer or uh, concept and zone of optimal anxiety. Can you explain to our, our genius leaders what does it mean and uh, what is that zone and, and how one finds it and gets into it and not trips over? <laughs> well, I think that this is one of the most important things that, that we could be talking about today because Mackenzie ended up doing a 10-year study on executives who are able to intentionally put themselves into the zone of optimal anxiety, become anxiety optimizers is a way to look at it, were 400% more productive than their peer group. 400%. And not only that, they wow. had significantly better work-life balance because they were able to accomplish in two hours what their peer group was accomplishing in four. Uh, eight hours, actually, what they yeah. were accomplishing yeah. in eight hours, which is just 
absolutely amazing. So when you think about this concept, I want you to feel like you're walking a tightrope. And on one side of the tightrope is overwhelming fear. And on the other is feeling indifferent or being like the person you're talking about who doesn't want to move from where they are. What what you need to be if you want to walk that tightrope, because if one of those two things happen, it's going to sag and you're going to fall off, is you need to get into a perfect state of equilibrium. And if you can figure out that perfect state of equilibrium, that's when you reach peak, peak performance. And the analogy I like to give is it's being on the edge without going over the edge. And in this chapter, I talk about uh, two different people who have perfected it. One is Navy SEAL, uh, Mark Devine, who's a podcaster and New York Times bestselling author. And the other one is Jesse Uwiji, who is a NASCAR driver. And I think my discussions with Jesse kind of paint a great light on this. And here's a guy who, similar to me, went to the Naval Academy. He was a surface warfare officer. And on one of these cruises, he got this wild voice inside of him that said, your passion is to become a race car driver. Had had never done it before. I, I mean, think about where he is to where he wants to become. And you would think that's an impossible dream. Plus, he's now in his mid-20s. Most of these people start out kart racing and he's well behind the curve. Well, he now has a sponsorship deal by Emmett Smith, the running the Hall of, Hall of Fame running back who played for the Cowboys and he races in the uh, in the Xfinity uh, Racing League, but he describes it as when he first started to learn how to race. At first, he was like that person who was indifferent, and he was being too cautious. And what it ended up doing is, when he was being too cautious, people behind him, the other drivers, were expecting him to be more aggressive, and he ended up wrecking. And then he tried to be extremely aggressive, and he was letting the anxiety get the best of him and he wrecked as well. And he said when he was able to really put himself on the edge without allowing himself to go over the edge is when he started to to place on the podium and started to, to really propel his career forward. And the thing I want people to understand is that this is something that it's like a muscle and you can learn to create this, op- this zone of optimal anxiety in your own life. So how do you do that? But of, you, of course, you you go in detail with the exercises in the book, and you uh, give an example uh, of the four steps from uh, from the Navy. But yeah, well, I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, there's the way that Mark Devine does it. I also bring up Stephen Kotler in the book, um, who mm-hmm. writes a lot about peak performance and flow state. But let me just give you three simple ways that you can think about this. The first is to catch yourself before spiraling. Mm-hmm. To me. Awareness is half the battle won. Notice for yourself when unease starts creeping in, that prickly feeling saying things are about to get really hairy. That's your cue. Once you understand that awareness, then dial back with deep breathing. And this is something that I talk about in the book. The most simple way you can do this is um, something that, that I've used for decades, which is just box breathing. So similar to the edges of a box, you breathe in for four, out for four, in for four, out for four, complete the box. But what it's doing is it's starting to relax your entire system. And it sounds cliche, but these breathing exercises are like hitting a pause during an action movie. It slows everything down, letting your clarity rush back in. And it's as if you're telling the chaos, it's not going to happen today. 
And then the last thing I like to tell people is pace, don't race. And this goes back to the micro choices that we were talking about. Keep your tasks challenging, yet make them attainable. And I like people to remember Goldilocks, not too hard, not too easy, just right. So catch yourself before spiraling, dial back with deep breaths and pace, don't race are three great ways that you can start. I love those three. I would like to get, get a couple of examples if you could um, give John from your experience or any of your guests on the podcast of this finding the balance. How do you strike that? How do you stay in that kind of ring? So you, if I'm, I'm, I have this visual of the zone of comfort as the circle, and then there is a ring out of it where, where there is this optimal anxiety, right? Where the, opt, uh, the anxiety optimizers are acting. And then after that, like outside of that ring is already where you are getting over the edge. So how do you find that ring for yourself? And maybe some questions you can ask yourself, or as, as I said, some examples that you can give us uh, from the experience. Yeah, so I'm going to give a, a good example. So perhaps some of your listeners don't follow American football, um, but we had a quarterback who's retired now named Eli Manning, the brother of the famous Peyton Manning. Um, they both won as many Super Bowls, um, Peyton Manning. I, I think was predestined to fulfill this place where he has gotten. And I think when people looked at Eli, they looked at him as Peyton's little brother who was never going to accomplish anything. And when Eli started to play professionally, he was playing like that. He was kind of a mediocre quarterback who lacked self-confidence. And he ended up going to see a professional uh, to help him work through this. And this professional was a guy named Nate Zinzer, who teaches at uh, the US Military Academy at West Point. And he teaches people how to use confidence and the zone of optimal anxiety to achieve peak performance. And what he started working with Eli on is, and we all can fall in this trap. I think we have this trap that whether it's a person wanting to be a speaker or a person who maybe wants to learn how to play a new instrument or whatever it is, we start picturing the worst moments that we've ever had mm. at doing it. And we fixate on those. And what he encouraged Eli to do was to throw away all those tapes and to throw away all the tapes when even he was performing at an average level. He said, I want you to focus on the highlights where you made that incredible pass or play or if you think about the golfer, it's that, that one shot that keeps you wanting to play the next time. And focus on those moments where you were achieving at your highest levels. Now, work from that and start thinking about, in that specific scenario, what made it different? What allowed you to throw that pass when previously you weren't doing it? How were you able to manage what was happening in that situation differently? And then start to look at ways that you can recreate it and recreate it more often. And so a year later, Eli started to put this into practice. His self-confidence grew. He started to be able to put himself by being intentional about how he was approaching things more into this specific zone. And a year later, he ends up winning a Super Bowl. A couple of years later, ends up winning another one, and it completely redefines his legacy. And I think we can apply some of that same logic in our own lives to start looking at those moments when we are performing at our best. What's different about those? 
maybe it's we've put in more time trying to perfect where we're at. So by doing that extra practice, we're not as nervous about it. Or maybe it's times where we have to use those deep breaths to calm ourselves down before going into that meeting. And then when we have to get up to to give our portion in it, we're more confident. We're we're more in that zone where it just seems like we're able to make time malleable and we're able to control our actions. But I think really stop looking at the negative aspects of your performance, start focusing on the highlights and work from there backwards to understand what allows yourself to perform at that level would be one way I would think about approaching it. It's definitely one of the uh, approaches I believe in as well to focus on what works for you instead of sitting and mulling over again and again of the things that uh, haven't worked and uh, try to improve things that you're weak at. There is no energy there. There is no sustainability. You won't be able to stick to that practice uh, because it just drains you. So really looking at what uh, brought you this one occasional success will actually help you make the success a, a habit as well. John, I want to summarize uh, or wrap up with uh, asking you about your uh, challenge, 50-week challenge. Uh, so we, we discussed different practical tools right now. You are summarizing every chapter of your book, Passion Struck, with exercises on the topic. And here there is something that you're doing for almost a year. Can you tell us a bit more about what is that challenge and how people can join that? Yeah. So. As I've been talking about, one of the things that I keep bringing up is that we need to put ourselves into situations like the zone of optimal anxiety that we feel might be a little bit out of our reach, but aren't that far out of our reach. And so as I have been thinking about how do you help people start to perfect these principles, start to live a passion-struck life, I decided that a great way to do it would be to cultivate a number of different challenges that they could do weekly that are hard enough that it gets you to take movement, but not so hard that you feel like it's impossible to accomplish. So I started out the year with one where every single day, I just asked you to start doing a journaling practice where you write down three different uh, forms of things you're you're grateful for. So starting with a gratitude practice, because Mm -hmm. this is something that if you continue it throughout the year, I guarantee you it's going to help you feel more motivated. Last week, um, and I know uh, you have a lot of Nordic listeners, um, I happened to interview Dr. Uh, Elizabeth Lati, who is one of the foremost experts in the world on the Finnish art of Sisu. And mm-hmm. so I made this exercise all about how do you start creating more resilience in your life. This week's one happens to be on optimal anxiety because I did a solo episode on it. And so it's some challenges around how you create optimal anxiety in your own life. But the the best way to sign up for this is to go to passionstruck.com. And on the homepage, I have a place where you can sign up for our newsletter. And that's where we will put all these things out. And then I also have a Facebook group that offers encouragement for people who want to do this. And there's it's not as if you can't enter this at any time because the challenges will continue to go. My hope is that people will take the earlier challenges and keep incorporating these into their lives, but you can start this at any point. And then why 50 and not 52 weeks? Because I want the last two weeks to be time for reflection for you to think about the growth that you've made in your life. Beautiful. Uh, I love the concept and uh, 
how you're building that, like you, you're really creating those blocks, right? To, to put together and uh, build a strong foundation with them. So I'll put the link, dear Genesis, to the uh, website where you can find the resources that John has mentioned today in the show notes. So please click through. Uh, also listen to his podcast. There are many fantastic conversations there uh, and examples from there went to the book. So grab the copy if that's your medium of le- for learning. Uh, there are so many ways. And, and as uh, John is generously putting this knowledge in many different ways, just pick the one that is more suitable for you. And John, congrats on the book release. I hope you will enjoy all the activities that come around this <laughs> big milestone uh, on the journey of an author. And I hope the book will reach to uh, a lot of people who will um, learn, implement those things, change their lives uh, to really get fresh and struck and, and live the life that they envision for themselves. Well, Anna, thank you so much for having me. And I remember when I was asking for endorsements of this book, one. The first one I asked was Seth Godin, who many of the listeners probably know. And Seth is uh, funny for for writing blurbs if if he will even do one for you because he he is one of the biggest sticklers on not doing them. But I've seen him do ones that this book had at least one thought that I thought was worth $27. So I remember writing him and we're friends, but I wrote him and I said, I want you to look at this and I hope you find one idea in the book that's worth $27. And he became the first person who endorsed the book. And so I hope there's more than just one idea in this book. But I think just the foreword alone, which was written by Matt Higgins, who is the best-selling author of Burn the Boats, former Shark Tank host, is itself worth the entry fee. Amazing. So thank you so much, John, for joining me today, for sharing so many experiences and uh, learnings from your journey and uh, the all the journeys that uh, your guests and interviewees have uh, shared with you. And uh, to you, Genius Leaders, I just want to emphasize and remind that I love you. I feel you and I see you. And I do believe that you can build that passion strike life and be one step closer to that ideal self every single day. And in today's conversation and all the resources that John provides, you can find some answers for yourself. So go grab those. And let's keep growing together, learning together, and getting closer to that ideal self together. Talk to you next week. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Genius Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed the conversation, hit the subscribe button. Please rate, review, and share to help more people discover the show and become the better leaders. For more conversations about living in your zone of genius, connect with me on LinkedIn. Genius Leadership is an honors conversation about leading yourself and others. And it is my honor to be a guide in overcoming everything.